just when I was praying last year about um, what's church this year, what's church 2021, and my whole feeling was this thing of redemption. Well, it actually, it actually started, the thought came, it started when I was doing this uh, uh, counselling course last year, and I did a counselling course for this guy by the name of Richard Black, who's this, this Christian psychologist, brilliant guy, and uh, loved the course. And um, part, as part of the uh, training, it's kind of like group therapy, uh, you know, you'd be sitting in class with the, the different people, and they'd start to share their stuff, and then Richard would kind of throw these counselling questions at you, and uh, to demonstrate the process. So who, who likes public counselling? Is that you know that's always a fun time. Like don't say anything, keep quiet in case you get called out. But Richard asked this one, this one question which got me, and he said this: If you could totally erase, because uh, this, this lady was processing some of her stuff, some of her low points in life, and he asked the question: If you could totally erase that experience and remove that part of your life, would you? If you could take away, you know, if there was a part of your life that you could totally erase, that never happened, it's totally blank, gone, removed, would you actually do that? Would you actually remove it? And the lady, she thought long and hard about it, and she said, actually, no, I wouldn't. No, I, I would actually keep that experience. That's part of who, I'm, who I am. That's part of my journey. And, and it intrigued me. And, and I was thinking about this, and so at coffee break, I, I went up to uh, Richard, so, so Richard, tell me. When you ask that question to people, what's kind of the normal response? And he said, well, the, the normal response is 90, 95% of people would say, no, I, I want to keep that part of my life. I don't want it removed. He said, there's probably about, you know, 10, 5 to 10% of people would say, that was totally traumatic, just <laughs> remove it. <laughs> I want having nothing to do with that. But it went on to this, this interesting conversation around redemption. And God's ability to take the things which are absolutely rubbish in our life, the things which we wouldn't put our hands up for, the things which we would go, oh, man, where did that thing come from? And God has this incredible ability to take those things and redeem them and make them, use, you know, make them useful and bring life to them. And we need the presence and the power of God to do that. See, because the future might not look for us what we would have chosen or planned, but somehow God has this incredible ability to turn it around. And I think most of us carry, would carry you know, a sense of uh, disappointment, a sense of, ah, oh, man, if only that didn't, you know, you know I, I didn't get picked for the All Blacks in the end. Who's still disappointed about that? You know, we're still going, oh, how come we didn't get in? What went wrong? Uh, did I miss it? You know, 2020 wasn't quite what we planned, was it? You know, who had some brilliant plans for 2020? God, rubbish. But I'm believing like for 2021 that God would redeem some things, right? That God would take some of the stuff which was a little bit average and he would redeem it and break all things new. Or he would use that things which became custard and, I don't know, create a trifle out of it or something like that. (laughs) Turn it around with a good little bit of brandy in the bottom. Hallelujah. (laughs) And... And that ability to take a negative and turn it to good. And that's, that's what God specialises in. He specialises in the whole story, the narrative of the Bible, it's the story of redemption. You know, even from the Garden of Eden, where it all, again, it goes to custard. It's, but there's redemption, and the redemption story flows right through creation, right through to us. See, what's your redemption story? If God was to redeem your story, what would that look like? And I know even just, just looking around, 
There are incredible redemption stories just sitting in this place. I know some of your stories. And, and God has got this amazing ability to take those things and turn them around. And what we're going to be doing over the next few weeks is we're going to look at some of the redemption stories of the Bible. And I want to do Joseph today. I think we've got Joel next week. We're talking about Samson. And then we've got, um, we've got Esther in there somewhere coming up. But we want to look at some of these redemption stories. So how does Joseph go from this arrogant youth any arrogant young people here? You know, <laughs> you know, to this compassionate leader. This absolute transformation. And I'll, I'm going to give you a quick overview of the story, a little bit of context, and then we'll, we'll talk about it. But, but Joseph, he is this, this much-loved son of Jacob and Rachel. And uh, can we have the family tree? Maybe if you put up the next slide. Thanks, Steve. So, so we've got... The great patriarchs of faith in the Bible got Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. So Abraham and Sarah, Isaac and Rebekah and then Jacob. And then we have got um, the 12 sons, the 12 which become the 12 tribes of Israel. And you've got... Um, so the story with Jacob was that, that he went and worked for Uncle Laban. And Uncle Laban kind of did him in a little bit and he, he, he fell in love with Rachel. Rachel was his, his love. And so he, he says, look, I'll work for seven years for Rachel. And um, Laban did the dirty bit of a dirty on him. He he, married, he went and had the, had the wedding ceremony, and he woke up in the morning. And instead of Rachel being beside him, it was Leah. And he's like, "What the heck? What's going on? You tricked me, man!" And uh, so that went bad. And so he says, "No worries," because Laban's uncle Laban says, "No worries. Um, we, we always marry off the older sister first. So if you work another seven years for me, then you can have um, Rachel." So he works another seven. So fourteen years. And, and then there's this kind of this rivaling rivalry. This you know, competition between these girls to have um, Jacob's affection and to have kids by him, and so they end up having a having a bunch of kids, and and then they also give their um, their, their servants to help out in the process. So, I don't know. Um, so so Leah, the older sister, she's what she's got like six sons, and, and then she's right, um, my servant. Let's have another couple there. And then Rachel says, we're well, ready to get on the act. So we've got another couple there. Dan and Naphtali turn up. And then Rachel's, finally, uh, she's a little slow to the party. But eventually, number 11, uh, Joseph uh, uh, turns up there. And, and then Benjamin, he comes later on. But the thing is that Joseph, because he's like, Rachel, you know, was the much-loved wife. And uh, Joseph was the much-loved son. And because of that, he got, he got lots of treatment. He was the guy with the technical dream coat. He was the guy who got everything for him. And, and he was a little bit arrogant around it. And, and he, he had these dreams. He was the dreamer guy. And he had these dreams that all his brothers and sisters would bow down to him. And he kept telling the, the older brothers about this. So what did the older brothers do? They put him in a pit, of course. What else would you do? You know? so, so what happens is this, this thing of, of exile... Uh, happens this, and, and when we read through the Bible, there, there's this thing of exile, homecoming, and banquet, and you find it with all, all the different stories in the Bible. There's this moment of exile, and for Joseph, there's this moment of exile where the, where the brothers say, "Okay, I'm sick of you know little Joseph. He's a little pain in the butt. We are going to deal to him." And so he's out in the field, and so they grab him, they put him in the pit. And then they uh, get his coat and they cover it in blood and they take it back to his father, Jacob, and said, look, he, uh, yeah, sorry about your son, he didn't make it. Wild animal must have torn him apart. And then there's these traders coming through, so they grab him out of the pit and they, they sell him off. And he has this, this moment of exile. And he, and he goes into Egypt as a slave. 
And, and he continues to have these, these crazy ups and downs. He gets into Potiphar's house and he's doing brilliantly and then Potiphar's wife takes a liking to him and then he has to run out of there and he ends up in prison and then he rises up in the prison and then you know all these crazy stuff happen. And, and then in the end, uh, Pharaoh um, of Egypt, he has this dream with these fat cows and skinny cows and you know, who can interpret a dream? And he says, oh no, that's right, we've got Joseph in the prison. He's a pretty good interpreting dream guy. So they pull him out, he interprets the dream and he goes, and one day he goes from uh, being in the prison to being in the palace. See, God's, God's the, he can turn things around and, and one day he, he takes that, that role and he stores up food for the people. And, and then we have the homecoming is, is, the, is the next bit. And it's kind of a reverse homecoming. So usually, you know, the prodigal son and the other stories in the Bible, they go to exile and come back. But this time, instead of Joseph going back, his brothers turn up. His whole family turns up and, and they're hungry. There's been this famine in the land and, and um, what's his name? The, the dad, Jacob, <laughs> Jacob, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, the other guy, <laughs> that guy, Jacob, says, sends his sons. He says, look, get down to Egypt. I hear that they've got some food. Go down there and uh, suss out some food for us. It's, it's going to be all good. And so the brothers turn up in Egypt seeking to buy food. And um, they turn up the first time and, and they get the food and Joseph sends them off. He doesn't reveal who he is. Uh, he says, next time you guys come, uh, you need to bring Benjamin. Because he susses them out and, and there's the son and there's this interplay there which happens. Uh, but we want to get to is Genesis 20, uh, 44, verse 24 to 34, which, which is the banquet. And uh, he says, okay, here's the brothers coming back. And uh, verse 24 of Genesis 44, it says this, the manager then led the men into Joseph's palace. So here's, here's the brothers, they're turning up. And they don't understand it. Here they are, they're just these, these um, tribesmen from the land of Canaan and they're turning up and suddenly the prime minister is wanting to meet with them and taking them in, into the palace. And he says, give them water to wash their feet and provide food for their donkeys. And they were told that they would be eating there, so they prepared their gifts for Joseph's arrival in the afternoon. And when Joseph came home, they gave him the gifts they had brought them, and they bowed low to the ground before him. And after greeting them, he asked, how is your father, the old man you spoke about? Is he still alive? He's inquiring about his dad. Is he still around? Yes, they replied, our father, your servant, is alive and well. And they bowed low before him. Then Joseph looked at his brother Benjamin, the son of his own mother, is this your youngest brother, the one you told me about? Joseph asked, may God be gracious to you, my son. Then Joseph hurried from the room because he was overcome with emotion for his brother and he went into his private room where he broke down and wept. And after washing his face, he came back out, keeping himself under control. Then he ordered, bring out the food. And the waiters served Joseph at his own table and his brothers were served at a separate table because the Egyptians who ate with Joseph sat at their own table because Egypt despised Hebrews and refused to eat with them. Joseph told each of his brothers where to sit and to their amazement he seated them according to age from oldest to youngest. At this point, it's kind of like the penny should drop a little bit. What is this guy? This guy who's in charge of Egypt... He knows a lot, seems to know a lot more about their family than they first thought, or maybe he has supernatural powers. Some mathematician worked it out, and apparently there are 39,917,000 different combinations you could see 11 individuals. Here you go. So it's quite surprising that he just put them all in order. And Joseph filled their plates with food from his own table, 
giving Benjamin five times as much as he gave the others. So they feasted and drank freely with them. And again, they're going, what's going on here? You imagine Benjamin. They loaded, loaded up his plate five times. And you've got to remember, they've been living in famine for a while. And they turn up to the palace and suddenly this banquet's put on for them. There's this feast for them. Here's Joseph. He gets to meet his full brother, the son of Rachel. And then there's the great reveal. In the next verse, Genesis 45, verse 1 to 8, Joseph could stand it no longer. He said, this is my brother's. There were many people in the room and he said to his attendants, out, all of you. So he was alone with his brothers and he told them who he was. Then he broke down and wept. And he wept so loudly the Egyptians could hear him and word of it quickly carried to Pharaoh's palace. I am Joseph, he said to his brothers. And at this point he breaks his silence and he breaks his silence to his brothers but also breaks silence and you read it through. He speaks Hebrew at this point. Up to that point, he, he had been speaking Egyptian and being interpreted. But at this point, he, he breaks into Hebrew. I am Joseph. I'm your brother. And he says, is my father still alive? But his brothers were speechless and they were stunned to realise that Joseph was standing there in front of them. Please come closer, he said. And, and again, the, the Hebrew for this is like, it's an, an intimate closeness. It's like if you're going into a, a hug or a kiss. Come embrace, come, come close, come close. So they came closer and he said again, I am Joseph, your brother, whom you sold into slavery. Come on. There's this, this a moment of revelation of actually who he is. And then verse 5, it says, Don't be upset. Don't be angry with yourselves for selling me to this place. It was God who sent me here ahead of you to preserve your lives. This famine that has ravaged the land for two years and will last five more years and there will be neither ploughing nor harvesting. God has sent me ahead of you to keep you and your families alive and preserve many survivors. And so it was God who sent me here, not you. And he is the one who made me an advisor to Pharaoh, the manager of the entire palace and the governor of Egypt. And and I love this. God sent me here. God sent me here. See, when you, when you get that in your spirit and in your heart, it shifts, it changes everything. And, and, and instead of regret of like, you know, we go through life and go, how the heck did I end up here? But if you shift that from how the heck did I end up here to God sent me here, that, that changes everything, right? God positioned me. And, and that gives us the ability to relax and see God in our, in our current location. See, because that's when we begin to flourish and, and, and that's when we begin to function. That we flourish when, when we put our roots down and we go, ah, well, actually, God sent me here. And rather than always going wishing that we were somewhere else or wondering, you know, why am I here? See, and Joseph did that, that wherever he, end up, wherever he ended up, he had a little bit of God sent me here whether that was in the pit, whether it was in the prison, whether that was in Potiphar's house, he had this spirit which said, oh no, God sent me here. And, and he declares that. And, and it's an incredible declaration, right, isn't it? When you, when you think about it. When you think about it to actually declare, God has positioned me here. God has sent me here. God has made this happen. And he speaks that over his brothers. And I, and I think as, as part of church life, 
that, that God sent me here is strong. It says, I've got a part to play here. I'm going to function. I'm going to make a difference in the place where I am positioned. You know, when you, when you walk through the doors there and say, yeah, good morning, uh, God sent me here this morning. <laughs> you know, it sounds a little bit arrogant, doesn't it? But, but on the other hand, it shifts everything, doesn't it? You know, you, oh yeah, God sent me here. <laughs> I'm here for some, with, a, with a bit of purpose. I'm here to pray. I'm here to see the kingdom of God come. I'm here to see some things happen because God has sent me here. Because otherwise you go, oh, yeah, I don't know if I'm supposed to be here. I, just, I don't know, I just turn up and it's all right. And I don't know, sometimes I wish I was somewhere else. And, you know, who, who knows? But when we get in our spirit, and, and, and it's a declaration, God has sent me here. You know, for people who, you know, I, I know people who've moved to Auckland from all, all, over, the, all over the place. You know, you know, my South African friends and things like that. Like, where's Zane gone? Where is he? Zane. You know, when you get in your spirit, like, you know, God sent me here. I was talking to him the other day. And he said, you know, I think God sent me to New Zealand for a purpose. And I, and I thought, yeah, come on. Because, because it changes. It, it, it changes how you operate. In your workplace, you know, when you turn up to work, you can either go into the place and go, oh, rubbish, why am I going to end up in here? What's going on? Or you go, oh, God sent me here. I've got a job to do. <laughs> Let's get into it. At school, at university, wherever you're positioned. If you take that stance, God sent me here. It may not be your first choice. I don't think with Joseph, a few of those places were his first choice. If he's doing his life plan out, uh, yep, at 17, I'm going to go, th- let's go to the pit. That's going to be awesome. That's going to be a good time. <laughs> and then, uh, then a bit of prison time, that'll be fantastic. <laughs> but he goes, God sent me here. We go on to um, Exodus 50, and, and it's the, that God intended for good. Years later, his brothers are still worried, like, and, and his father Jacob pass, passes away. And so Exodus 15, 50, verse 15 to 27 says, When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, What if Joseph holds a grudge against us and pays us back for all the wrongs we did to him? They're still feeling the guilt, right? They're still feeling, man, we, 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 we literally sold him out. We, you know, we sucked his brothers. And so they sent word to Joseph saying, your father, so I don't know whether this is true, whether he just made this up. They said, uh, yeah, uh, Joseph, your father left his instructions before he died. This is what you have to say to Joseph. I ask you to forgive your brothers the sins and the wrongs they committed in treating you so badly. Now please forgive the sins of the servants of the God of your father. Play the dad card, isn't it? Like, come on, Joseph, we're all good, aren't we? You know, it's like those ones. We're sweet. And, and, and when their message came to him, Joseph wept. He's like, ah, oh, man, my brothers still don't get it. They still don't understand. They still don't know. And, and his brothers then came and threw themselves before him. We are your slaves, they said. You know? See, because even when we're forgiven and even when we're set free, we can still live like slaves, right? We can still position ourselves. Ah, oh, man, that, that thing which we did 30 years ago, Whatever, that still dogs me, it's still, you know. But he's forgiven. It's like, it's like the prodigal son when he comes home and says, you know, I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Just please make me as your hired servant. And the dad saying, no, 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 that's not how it works. You're my son. That's how it works. Joseph said to them, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? 
You intended, to, and I reckon this, this next verse, this is like the verse for the year. This is like redemption summed up. This is, this is the goodness of God right here. It says this, verse 20, You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what has now been done, the saving of many lives. How cool is that? You, you, you guys were rubbish. You guys sold me out. You guys were stink brothers. <laughs> you intended to harm me, but God. And when we need a little but God, and, and, and you know, this, this, this and this, hey, but God. God's a good God. God's got this incredible ability to turn things around. But God intended for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. See, God's interested in saving lives. He's not so interested in your little bit of comfort, unfortunately. <laughs> and, and I think when we preach just that Christianity is comfort and just the blessing of God and, I don't know, Mercedes Benz, hallelujah, whatever, uh, we, we miss the gospel. See, see, see the gospel uh, uh, says this stuff's going to happen, we're going to go through stuff, so that, that the redemption story would flow. And, and it's, there's this, this is a right response to wrong treatment. And I think Joseph's response is absolutely beautiful and it sums up this, this idea of redemption. See, right here, again, Joseph has the, he has the opportunity for revenge, but he refuses. He chose to bless, chose to protect, he chose to forgive right at this point. And again, you know, he, 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 you know he's the number two in Egypt. He could do the, you know, the old off with your heads, you know, ones, you know, if he'd wanted, couldn't he? Yeah, all power. In Egypt at that time, you, you just had to give the, <laughs> probably the nod to the, <laughs> the people at the side. And <laughs> but no, no, there's, there's, there's this beautiful grace. Beautiful grace. And he says, so then, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. I will provide for you and your children. And he reassured them and spoke kindly to them. See, see, at some point, if not already, you will be badly treated by someone. This is good news this morning. <laughs> it's good news for you this morning. At some point in your life, you, you are going to be badly treated by someone. You're going to be mistreated by someone. But it's, it's how you handle it. See, right here, Joseph acknowledges his brother's intentions. He said, you guys, you meant it for evil. He acknowledged the evil. He said it wasn't really that great. But he still maintains this position of grace and kindness. And, and life will throw you curveballs. I know enough about humanity to tell you that. And, and there will be times in life where it will seem like it's totally unfair. But your ability to guard your heart against getting bitter and your ability to say, well, maybe just God sent me here. And I don't know whether you know how, how it all works, and it looks bizarre, but but it's called grace. And I and I think Joseph's story gives us a beautiful portrayal of God's grace, and, and I think it's also a really early picture of Jesus and how He comes to rescue us. See, and I think sometimes, like Joseph's guilty brothers, we we we, we turn up, you know, we turn up to church sometimes, we turn, we turn up. To God, sometimes, fearing the worst. You know, a little bit of fearing and trembling. You know, I, I talked to you know, some non-Christian people, oh, I can't, can't 
walk through the doors of church. I'll probably burn up as I walk through the doors. You know, and everything. We have this, 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 this fear of walking into God's, into God's grace. And I think you know, a little bit of fear in turning to God is probably appropriate. But I think what we always find with Jesus that he always demonstrates incredible grace, generosity and mercy. And, and instead of being blamed, we are forgiven. And instead of guilt, we get freedom. And instead of punishment, we, we get invited to a seat at the table. We get invited to the banquet. And, and I think it's a little bit like Benjamin saying, hey, that's my little bro. Let's stack his plate with five times more. He says, come to the banquet. Come to the banquet. He offers us more than we can ever take in. And, and, I, and I think it, it, it resonates with the words of Jesus on the cross where he says, you know, Father, forgive them for they, for they don't know what they do. I think that was Joseph a little bit. You know, forgive these brothers. They don't know what they're doing. A dumb moment. And Jesus, he's brought to this position and, and so often I think that, that what looks like weakness, what looks like failure, what looks like custard, what looks like this is a mess, how do we get here? God has this amazing ability to turn it around and redeem it. But, but God, I love Joseph, but God intended it for good. That's a, that's a great statement. And why? Why, why? why did he do that? I love the next, next bit. So that he could save the lives of many. It's not just about you, it's about those who are around you. So that you bring redemption to many. So that you bring salvation to many. God's interested in bringing salvation to this community. He's interested in bringing salvation to your family. He's interested in bringing salvation to those around you. It was part of God's plan. Always needs to point to Jesus. I think Paul, he, he, he said it another way. You know, Paul, the apostle in the New Testament, I mean, he had a bunch of up and downs. He kept getting shipwrecked and trying to follow God. and you know. But in Romans 8.28, which is kind of this famous scripture, he says, and we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purposes. And I reckon, that again, that, 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 that's a great statement, isn't it? God causes everything to work together for good. So even, even the dumb stuff. God's, God's working it together for good. That part of your story which you would, would kind of think, oh, let's just erase that. God's working it together for good. He's redeeming it to create future and a hope. Now, let me just make a little point here. We need good theology around this, okay? Okay? Let me say to you, God does not send evil, right? Okay? God doesn't send evil into your world, but he has an incredible way of working things around. Okay? And God doesn't stop us making dumb choices, right? We still make dumb choices. And we carry the consequences for some of that stuff. But even in that, he says, okay, no worries. Let's turn that around and use that story. Incredible like that. See, we can't be overcomers unless there's something to overcome. See, what gives us strength, resilience and empathy are the hard things that we walk through. And I think Joseph led totally different after walking his journey, rather than going, you know, going straight from the cocky teenager to the, to the Prime Minister of Egypt. You know, that, that, that journey would have shaped him, right? 
And suddenly he's got this compassion for people. And he's, right, yeah, I'm going to make sure we distribute this food correctly and we look after these people and we get people through and the brothers are turning up and we're going to bring them in and this is going to be all good. But he went through that to become this. And some of the things which you've gone through leads you to the position which you are in now. Uh, let, me, let me finish with this. Uh, the fruit of forgiveness, Manasseh and Ephraim, Genesis 41, verse 51 to 22. These are, these are Joseph's kids, okay? And I, and I love what, is, what, he, what he names them, okay? Joseph named his firstborn Manasseh to forget, okay? <laughs> Imagine that kid. <laughs> oh, Mr. Forget. <laughs> but he turns up and he said, it is because God has made me forget all my trouble and all my father's household. And he named these kids before the brothers came back, right? He says to forget. And they were Hebrew names, not Egyptian names. He knew that he was Hebrew, even though he had an Egyptian wife. And then he named Ephraim. The second son he named Ephraim, which means twice fruitful. Double portion guy. Come on. He's going like this guy. Well, he probably hipped his plate with food as well. It's like, come on, Ephraim, yeah, have another portion. It's going to be good, mate. And, he looked after and, and what I've found with God is, is that he wants to always bring his goodness in. And, and we need a little bit of, an, a, a, little bit of a, a forget and a double portion in our lives every now and then, right? Say, so, okay, yeah, that was the past. Let's put that behind us. Let's move into the future of what God's got for us. Let's put 2020 over here and just go, rubbish. And let's, let's enter into 2021. Let's forget leaving the past behind and step into what God has got for us. And then let's step in, next guy, double portion guy. Who's in for that? <laughs> Come on. Come on. Those are his two sons. See, God knows how to catch you up. God knows how to catch you up. You know, one of, one of the deep needs which we have, all have in our world is that, that ability to make progress, to be able to, you know, step forward. The feeling that we're moving forward, achieving what we're destined for. for. And, and sometimes we have that feeling, oh, man, you know, I'm getting behind, or, you know, the other person's getting ahead, what's happening, what's going on. But what I've found is that God has this incredible ability to catch you up and, and redeem Redeem. You know, I was caught up with Steve and Steph over the last couple of years and just looking at them. And man, they, they had some crazy years planting churches in New York and Tauranga and everything like that where they <laughs> served their guts out. And I was like, ah, oh. they came out of it and it was a little bit smashed. But when I look at them now and what God has done, you know, their kids and the blessing of God. And, Everything like that. God has this amazing ability to catch you up. He's got this amazing ability to to redeem, to get you back on track. Let me finish with this. I said, I said, let's finish two times, three times. How many times are we finishing right now? Just this, um, part of the counselling course. This guy David Riddell, uh, he had this little saying, and he said this: "What's what's in the other hand?" What's in the other hand? So, if what is in that hand has been taken away, if that, what's in that hand is no longer, if that's a loss, if that's grief, if that's gone, what's God got for you in the other hand? What's that opportunity and what does that look like? 
and the ability to forget and the ability to step into the double portion. So if you were to totally erase that experience and remove that part of your life, would you? That relationship breakdown, that church situation that you had to leave, that job opportunity that fell over, that business partner that let you down, that loss in the family, that not getting in the All Blacks, what are you going to do? Are you going to live a life of regret? Or are you going to go, God sent me here. He intended it for good. He set me up. Why don't you just stand?